And tonight as we look at Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26, I want to kind of do the teach preaching that I've been doing in this. Uh, but I want to talk about how the gospel has spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And we've studied that so far. Now we'll track the work as it spreads to Syria and even to Egypt. And the idea from this is, the application for us, is that we want to see the gospel spread from where we are. This is our Jerusalem in Racine. And then to spread to the outer area, to our Judea, which we might think of as being Meigs County. And a little church like ours, we we can do that by God's grace. That's what God wants to do with us. Especially in the day and age that we live in, we have technology. Ever since the Gutenberg Press... And the invention of movable type and being able to print things and uh, publish the gospel by way of tracts and booklets. And then now, today, you, have, you can publish things online. You don't even need paper anymore. We have the use of podcasts, uh, Facebook, and the Internet. And um, there's a lot of evil, wicked, dirty things on the Internet, but there's a lot of good that can be done uh, because of that. And I want to talk about that a little bit <clears throat> in the days to come. But, uh, and I want to talk about how can we reach our Jerusalem and our Judea, you know, and our Samaria. And really, the gospel goes out from this church all around the world because we're involved in world missions. So tonight, the aim of this is to stir us up unto love and to good works and to spread the gospel and to watch how it was done in the first century. But the same God that worked in the first century through Philip the Evangelist, and through the church members of that first church in Jerusalem. The same God is working today through His people, through His churches, all over this world. So I hope to encourage you, and uh, we'll get into it now in verse 26. Verse 26, I'll just read a few verses here. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise! And go toward us out. Now hold on a minute. The angel of the Lord. Think of that. That is amazing. The angel of the Lord. It can't be the pre-incarnate Christ that appeared in the Old Testament. When, when it talks about the angel of the Lord, that was, that was the Lord Jesus Christ appearing as an angel. Uh, can't be that. And you'll find the angel of the Lord shows up a lot in the book of Acts. And so... We assume that this is an angel sent from the Lord, one of his messengers, uh, which is what the Bible says an angel is, a messenger, um, appears to Philip. And that's just amazing. Tells Philip, arise, get up from what you're doing, and go south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, so go out to the desert. He rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So he was a convert to Judaism, to uh, Judaism, to the Jews' religion. He was a Gentile, converted, one of their proselytes. Was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So now went from the angel of the Lord to the Spirit, 
capital S, the Holy Spirit, telling Philip, go close to him, go right up next to his chariot and preach to him, witness to him, give him the gospel. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I? except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Let's pray just for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the words of God. I thank you that we have the scriptures, that we have them in our hands. We are so blessed tonight uh, to live in America. God, we have all of these resources, all of this wealth at our disposal. We possibly... Uh, have more advantage, more tools, more opportunities to share the gospel than any other generation, Lord. But I think that we're doing less than any other generation before us. God, I pray that you would light a fire in us, in this church. God, I pray that you'd purify, that you would strengthen, that you'd give us zeal, that you'd give us Christian courage, God, that you'd help us not to count our own lives as being important to us, but Lord, to lose ourselves, to give ourselves away as we just sang, to give ourselves away to you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of souls. Help us to see souls Not to see men and women of different persuasions and different backgrounds and different ethnicities or whatever. But help us to see men and women and boys and girls as souls. Eternal souls that will spend eternity somewhere. God, help us. Help this church. Lord, use us to lead one more soul to Jesus Christ. Help each one of us who are busy passing out tracts and witnessing. Use us to find people who are ready. They're just ripe for the picking. They're ready to get saved. Use us to lead them to Christ. Bless our tracks, everything that we do. Bless the sermons that go out online. And God, help us to be stirred up for the gospel and to do something in these last days. And Lord, we sure look forward to you coming back. Lord Jesus, we look forward to you coming back to receive us to yourself. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So verse 26, the angel of the Lord speaking to Philip. You know, uh, that is pretty incredible. But if you think about it, we have one who is greater than the angel of the Lord who has told us to go. You say, where are we supposed to go? Go out there. They're everywhere. Lost souls are everywhere. Just go. That's what we're supposed to do. Go. And he was sent by the angel of the Lord, and that is incredible, saying, Arise. Now, Philip had been involved in a great evangelistic meeting, and God was using him greatly. You know, in verse 12, if you notice that there, God had been using him greatly. And then God said, Get up from this great revival through his angel, and then go to the desert and go find one man, which in our reckoning doesn't exactly make sense. But here's the thing, we'd better just do what the Lord wants us to do. To us, to our minds, it isn't always going to make sense. But if he says do it, then do it. There's a bus sitting out there. 
to some of us here, it doesn't make sense that we purchase that bus. But guess what? God told us to do it. And then God provided it. And uh, so we don't need to sit down and think about the pros and the cons and the costs and all this kind of stuff. But we just need to do it. Do what he told us to do. I noticed another church down here took a van and had Brother Jason put a sign on it. You know why? God told them, buy that little van and go pick people up and bring them to church. And that's what God wants us to do. And I think every church ought to have a van or a bus ministry to go after the lost. It's a great ministry. Did it for six years, but I'm not doing it here. <laughs> Amen. Somebody else has got to do it. And it, it, it is work and it's sacrifice and it'll cost you something. And sometimes it'll cost you some tears, but it's all worth it. It's all worth it. So he says, go toward the south and go to just one man, one Ethiopian. So he went down from Jerusalem and he went out to this desert. Then uh, in verse 27, he arose and went. So, you know, Philip, he was one of the first deacons and he was called to be an evangelist. He truly had the gift of an evangelist. So he was known as Philip the Evangelist. But guess what? We don't need fancy titles just because you're not a deacon or an evangelist or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. You don't need a title. Guess what? You have this title. You're a Christian. You're a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all you need. And we're all called to evangelize. We've studied that. Men and women are both called to preach the gospel. And they went out from the church in Jerusalem upon the persecution that rose about Stephen. And God sent them out because they weren't going. So God kind of encouraged them and nudged them to go out and to preach the gospel. And so all of us can be like Philip. He was simply a servant. And a servant just goes where he's told. Am I right? A servant doesn't decide when he's going to wake up or what he's going to eat or what he's going to do for the day or what his plans are as one year, five year, ten year plan. Now, I'm not saying that you can't think about stuff like that, but I'm trying to make the point that a servant, he serves according to the voice of his master. And Jesus says, go, go. And so he goes, he arose and he went. He was a willing servant. And he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now this servant had found a sinner. He found a sinner to preach the gospel to. And the Ethiopian eunuch was probably very wealthy, they say. And they say that because of this one man getting saved, and going from there and going down into the continent of Africa, down to Ethiopia, that the Ethiopian, the Coptic church, traces their roots all the way back to this one guy. They say that their church started, was founded by the Ethiopian eunuch. You ever wonder what God can do with just one soul? One person who gets saved? We don't know what God might do with our converts, with somebody that you led to Christ. We just don't know what God might do. But it's exciting to think about. You ever heard of the uh, God's Bible smuggler? God's Bible smuggler? 
he's known all around the world as Brother Andrew. He went to be with the Lord in September of this year, 94 years old. He went into eternity to meet his reward. And Andrew, uh, he, he's a, he came from the Dutch. Before he was converted to Christ, he was a Dutch soldier. He, te- he told stories about how he fought in the Indonesian War, which was just after World War II, fighting for the Dutch, and he was a brutal soldier. He was a killer, and he did what soldiers are supposed to do. And he was just vicious with the enemy. His mom had sent him a Bible, and he put it way down deep in the bottom of his pack and, and never read it. And one day, he was shot, and he was wounded real bad, and the, the doctors told him that he would never walk again. And while he was in recovery and rehabilitating and those things, a, a Christian nurse came to his bedside and she dealt with him about his soul, and she encouraged him to think about his eternal soul, to think about the gospel. And she put that on him, being a gospel witness, just a lady somewhere in a hospital. But you know what she was? She was a servant. She was a gospel witness for Jesus Christ. And so God used that lady's witness and uh, his mom's Bible, he got his mom's Bible out and started to study it. He was just had nothing else to do. And then he was doing some correspondence with people. And through all of that, God brought him to faith to Jesus Christ and converted him and completely changed him. But just think of it. That one Christian nurse, she was instrumental in bringing Brother Andrew to Christ. Do you know what God did with him? He used him to smuggle, they say, over 150 million Bibles into communist uh, areas behind the Iron Curtain. You remember that? Into communist areas where people were forbidden to even have a Bible. And he smuggled Bibles in. He risked his life because of all of that. And God used him greatly. We don't know how many thousands of people would have gotten saved as a result of those Bibles that went in there. But that lady had... She couldn't possibly dream what God would do with that one witness that one day meeting this angry, bitter, hateful soldier who thought he was never going to walk again. And God healed him and put him into the ministry. We just don't know what God will do with our witness. So he arose and he went to this one man. And uh, they say that Coptic Christianity is the third largest Christian center of the world. And it came from this one man. Then in verse 28, uh, this, this Ethiopian eunuch was returning from Jerusalem. He was sitting in his chariot. He would have had his servant driving the chariot for him. And he was re- reading Isaiah the prophet. <laughs> so evidently he was wealthy because he could afford to buy a scroll. I mean, you, you didn't just get the whole Bible like this. Back then, you, the, the rabbi would go into a little, basically a closet, a small room at the back of the synagogue, and within there would be all of these compartments to hold all the different scrolls of the Jewish Old Testament Bible, and would go back there and get one scroll that had Isaiah in it, bring it out, and then uh, somebody would read from that. Well, he had purchased one of these scrolls. was <laughs> going through there and reading it. And, uh, and then Philip came up to him, and he asked a very good question. 
after the Spirit had led him to do it, to go near, right at the right time. And he just so happened to be at the right place in the Old Testament to preach the gospel from. Philip ran thither to him in verse 30 and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he heard him read from Isaiah chapter 53 and said to him, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand what you're reading? There's a good question. And here's a good lesson in witnessing. A good way to witness is to start with a question. And start with an open-ended question. You know what that means? Like, don't ask them a question that they can say yes or no to. Because just like that, conversation is over if they don't want to talk. Ask them an open-ended question. Something to get a conversation going. And that helps it to be more natural. People like to talk. People like to talk about themselves. They like to talk about what they're doing. You could simply just ask them a question about what they're doing and start a conversation and he said do you understand what you're reading he's looking at philip and he's thinking i've got a jew right here and he knows his book so he had all the right ingredients coming together at this time and it was god making this divine appointment to bring them all together he had a servant who was willing to go he had a sinner to talk to now we're all sinners right we recognize that we're all sinners. There are sinners saved by grace, and there are sinners who are not yet. So they're not saved by grace yet, and they need to be saved. So he had a servant, a sinner, and then he had the scriptures. Boy, that's a pretty good recipe for getting somebody to get saved. You've got to hear the gospel before you're saved. You know that? Can you look with me at Romans chapter 10? How do we get saved? You have to hear somebody preach the gospel. That means, brother and sister, you and I need to preach the gospel. There's different ways of doing it. You can preach it with a track. Romans chapter 10, real quick. You know, um, we can, if we don't know anything else, we can take a track and say, hey, uh, can I give you one of these? If they ask what it is, they'll say, what is it? Well, there you go. Natural opening. You talk about what it is. Or you can say, hey, did you get one of these? Or uh, you can say, hey, um, are you a Christian? Are you saved? There's all kinds of things that you can say. Um, one time, I, twice in my life, I have said to one time to a rough construction worker, and I knew what these guys were like. I worked with them often. And I walked up to the guy and I said, listen, there's a real hell. You don't have to go. I don't want you to go. God doesn't want you to go. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. And I was in an area that was overly religious. It's ridiculous. It's like a, like a religious carnival down there in Pensacola. Everybody's religious. Everybody claims to be a Christian. I said, there's a real hell and you don't have to go. And he, he, you know what? He didn't get mad at me. He didn't get mad at me. It was the right thing for him, I thought. And the Holy Spirit told me to do it. But sometimes just go up to people and say, hey, you know, I'd like to invite you to church. This is what we believe. And maybe if they, if they take it and they open it up, recently on the news there's been video recorded of some of these Ukraine refugees and a, and a child behind the, they have these uh, gates for crowd control, 
basically portable fences. A child behind this portable fence with a chick track open reading it. And it was right on national television for everybody in America to see. Just incredible. But if you can't do anything else, you say, listen, I'm saved. I want you to get saved. And they say, well, I'd like to, but I just don't know how to. You can open up. I've had that, just that very same thing. Somebody say, I want to get saved. I just don't know how to. You're <laughs> wide open door. Okay, get the gospel track out and just read it to them. That's all you got to do. If you can't do anything else, do that. Best thing to do, I think, is to tell your personal testimony. Tell them how you got saved. That's a good place to start. Then invite them to church. And encourage them, like that nurse, encourage them to think about, you have an eternal soul. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. I want you to spend it with me in heaven. You know, so you've got to hear the gospel. You have to preach the gospel. And if you don't talk about Jesus, it's not the gospel. If you don't talk about Jesus, it's not the gospel. So notice in verse, chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, right? Shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. So we're talking about a heart belief. It's not enough to intellectually believe all the facts of the gospel and say, yes, I believe all that stuff and I agree with my church, therefore I want to be baptized and become a church member. Uh-uh. No. You've got to believe it down in your heart. There ought to be personal conviction of sin and understand I am in trouble with God. And it's either I'm going to pay the penalty for my sin or I'm going to ask Jesus to take care of the penalty for my sin and forgive me and give me eternal life. It's got to be in the heart that God, the Holy Spirit, is doing this work of bringing you to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And understand that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How? Believing. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice down in verse 13 it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Alright? You've got to hear the gospel, believe it from the heart, and then call upon the name of the Lord. Say, God save me. I don't know a whole lot, but... I believe Jesus died for my sins and I want you to save me. Forgive me of all my sins and make me a child of God. The words aren't important. It's praying to God and saying, God, I believe with my heart. I believe it and I want to be with you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he asks this question. Now we need to get people to believe and to call on the name of the Lord. Now how are we going to do it? It's very, very practical and easy to understand. Verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? So if you put that in the opposite order, this is what it means to obey the gospel. A preacher is sent. That preacher obeys the go of the gospel. A preacher is sent. If you just read that all backwards. The next, the preacher preaches. Again, male or female, preaches the gospel. And tells people, you must decide. You must choose Christ or reject Christ, but you can't be, you can't just be passive and say, I'm undecided. No, you can't do that. You must preach the gospel and encourage them to trust Christ as their Savior before it's too late. 
And then they must hear. How shall they believe on him whom they've not heard? In verse 14. They must hear the gospel and then must believe the gospel and then call. You see, it's so clear. How does a person get saved? It has nothing to do with water baptism. It has to do with preaching the gospel. I ask a person, you know, they, I say, are you saved? And they say, well, I don't know. I think so. And I'm doing the best that I can. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to get them to, to talk about when they trusted Christ. And I'm going to say, did, when did you hear the gospel? When did you come under conviction for your sin? When did you realize that you're a sinner? When did that happen? And after hearing the gospel, you responded by a personal faith, a heart belief in Jesus Christ and trusting in Him for forgiveness of sins. When did that happen? And uh, oftentimes they'll say, well, I, I haven't done that. You see, it's so simple. Everybody gets this funny idea that they just have to become a church member, and to do that, you've got to be baptized, and then you've got to try to live right. And that's not it at all. It's so simple. Folks, can I just put it to you this way? This is really the heart of everything I want to say tonight. You and I are responsible to do this, to be involved in this, to show people this. It's not hard to show them. So you say, come to church with me so you can hear the gospel. The preacher will help you to understand. Our visiting preachers, they'll help you to understand. And Come to church so you can understand. Or tell them your testimony and just do it all. Do, do all of that. So back in Acts chapter 8, it's just so simple in the Bible how a person gets saved, but they've got to hear the gospel. Back in Acts chapter 8, all the things are coming together. And then he says in verse 31, he says, How can I understand this except some man guide me? Now, that's true for salvation, and that's true for all of your Christian life and learning the Scriptures. After you get saved, you need to learn more about Jesus, learn more about the Bible. Well, how does that happen? God gives us men to guide us, teachers. I talked about Calvary Baptist Church in Zanesville, Ohio, first pastor that I really sat under and grew and um, he was a great Bible teacher. He loved the Bible. He preached prophecy. It was just a really good church, Calvary Baptist Church in Zanesville. Um, and uh, then I moved on to other pastors. I had other men to guide me. I had my brother basically to disciple me. But here's the thing about a guide. A man can guide us, but we have to do the learning. And we have to do the learning as the Holy Spirit shows us what is so and what's not so. Much of learning the Bible amounts to this. Test everything in your life. Everything. Question everything in your life and test it with the Scriptures. And ask the Holy Spirit, is this so or is this not so? Is this true or is this not true? And the Holy Spirit reveals things unto us as we're ready to handle them. A little bit at a time. Teachers uh, in the church are there in the sense of being guides but the real learning, that happens as you decide to learn and, and those things. So he says, he desired Philip to come up and to sit with him. And Philip did that. He came up into the chariot. The scripture where he read was this. And this is Isaiah chapter 55, and, or 53, excuse me, in verse 7 and 8. The place of the scripture, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. 
And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so Philip is reading this, Isaiah 53, and Philip is realizing for the first time, I can't get into it too much right now, but he's realizing for the first time, Isaiah 53 is describing my Savior, my, my Jesus, how he was wounded for my transgressions. Philip gets the gospel of the grace of God and understands it before Paul gets saved. He understands for the first time the blood atonement, that Christ had to be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He had to pay the penalty on the cross. Up until this point, they were simply preaching that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, He was the Christ, He was the Messiah. That's what they'd been preaching. Now they're starting to understand. You see, knowledge is progressive with the Lord. He doesn't give it to you all at once. And they're just starting to understand the blood atonement right here, Isaiah 53. From here, the preaching of the gospel changes. Remember I said Acts is a transitional book? It's not a different gospel, but their understanding of it deepens. As he understands, it's a blood atonement. And he says to that eunuch, we, I mean, I don't have the words, but he would have said to him, this is Jesus Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we're healed. And he's preaching that of Christ. And he did the only thing that he could tell this Ethiopian eunuch to do from the scripture that he was preaching from. In verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report? He said, What do you have to do? What do I have to do to be baptized? And he told him in verse 37, You have to believe. <laughs> With all your heart, not a head knowledge, but it has to get down into here, into the heart. Do you believe with all your heart? Okay. The eunuch answered Philip and he said, I pray thee. Who's he talking about? Is he speaking of the prophet? Is he talking about himself or of some other man? You know why he asked that question? I'm, I'm looking real good, like if we're in flight and we're, we were at 30,000 feet, we're coming down to about 20,000 feet maybe less, and we're coming to a landing, I promise you, okay? So just in case you're wondering, he's going to go over again. Don't worry about that. We're coming down. This is your captain speaking. We're coming down to an altitude of about 20,000 feet. So, um, but he said, who's he talking about? And you know why he said that? Did you know that the Jews of Jesus' day believed that Isaiah 53 was a prophecy about their Messiah? They believed that. Now you ask them today, and they won't say that. You know what changed? Christianity changed. Folks, if people tell you that this Christianity thing is a big hoax and it's not true, listen, we've got so much history behind this thing. It has changed the way God's people, <clears throat> His chosen people, the nation of Israel, the way that they interpret their Bible because of what happened in the first century. It was so powerful, that move of God. So they believed... In the first century, this was talking about their Messiah. But then after Christians started to apply it to Jesus of Nazareth and say that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, and this is talking about him on the cross, then they changed their interpretation. And they said, this isn't talking about our Messiah. This is talking about the nation of Israel. We are called a son of God in the Old Testament. And this is talking about all the suffering of the nation of Israel. Uh, I'm not just preaching, that's true. 
They said if it's not talking about that, it might be talking about Isaiah. That's why he asked that. And so Philip opened up his mouth and he preached who? Jesus. He said Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And on that cross, he was paying for our sins. He shed his blood for you and for me. And you can be forgiven. So, um, in verse 36, As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If you're reading from a modern version of the Bible, you don't know. You don't know the answer to that question. Because they remove verse 37. The NIV, for example, removes 16 whole verses from our New Testament. Why would they remove that verse? They say they've got good reasons. Uh, But because we have the authorized version, we know what could hinder him uh, from being baptized. There has to be a heart belief verse uh, first. A heart belief. That's the requirement. Not anything else. The Church of Christ would add other things. Got about five things you got to do. Uh, the some of the um, some of the worst teachings of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement would say you didn't speak in tongues, so you don't have the evidence. Some of the Jesus only, like my family, would say, well, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name, and try to attach all kinds of things to it. What did he say? He said, if you believe with all your heart. I don't mean to be mean, but like I said, the Holy Spirit will show us what is so and what's not so. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in truth. So notice in verse 11 and 12 of the same chapter, you see this in the book of Acts over and over again. First you believe, then you're baptized. That's why we believe in believer's baptism. And it makes no difference Really, whether we're Baptist or not, there's a lot of churches out there who don't have Baptists on the sign who believe in believers' baptism because they see it in the Scriptures. So verse 12, But when they believed, first, Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized second. So belief comes before baptism. Let me show you just one more real quick in chapter 18, verse 8. I mean, you got it right there in chapter 8, but again in 18, verse 8, Acts chapter 18, verse 8, we'll see it again. And again, it's just so clear in the Bible, you have got to be trying to miss it. You have to just be dishonest with the plain wording and the clear teaching of the Bible to not get this. And you have to trade what God says, thus saith the Lord, for your tradition of your church or your denomination. But here's just the clear teaching of the Bible in verse 8 of chapter 18. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house and many of the Corinthians. Check it out. Number one, hearing. Okay. Number two, believed. And number three, were baptized. You see that? Now, I've talked to people of all different sorts, and I'm not a very good soul winner. There's a lot better soul winners than me who win more souls to Christ. But I've talked to a lot of different people, and when I talk about salvation, they start saying, I had this experience one time. I got into a car wreck or something like that, or I was under my house and 
And I almost died, and I had this warm feeling, and I just sensed God's presence with me, and I just knew that uh, I believed in God, and God was with me, and I'm a Christian. And I think, where did you get that from? You got that from eating too much pizza at night, not being able to sleep, and in the middle of the night you came up with that idea. I don't know. But that didn't come from the Bible. The Bible says you've got to hear the gospel, then you've got to believe, which implies repentance, I admit that, and then be baptized, but the baptism doesn't save you. It's just what you do after you believe. It's the belief. When you believe, the Holy Spirit comes in to take up residence. That's how you know you're saved. So back in Acts chapter 8, notice in verse 37, <clears throat> Philip said, if thou believest. Now this verse is attacked. If you have a study Bible, if you watch YouTube, you're going to find teachers on there who attack it. Here, look, listen, this is what you've got to do. Which side are you on? Pick your side. Because you're going to find people who's going to give you evidence and arguments to say it shouldn't be there. And then you're going to find people like me that says, don't change the word of God. Stick with the old book. It's not broke. Don't try to fix it. There's, there's reasons. There's scholarly reasons why I believe this verse should be there. But they say, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's good right there. You believe. You're saved. It's a heart belief. You can get baptized. Now, A.T. Robertson, one of the greatest Greek scholars in America, says, verse 37, he says this, quote, is not a genuine part of Acts. End quote. Greatest scholar, Greek scholar in America. You know what I do with that? Throw it out. John R. Rice great fundamentalist, soul winner, John R. Rice tells us that this verse is not found in the oldest or best manuscripts of the Bible and should not be in the Bible. You know what I do with John R. Rice? Throw him out. And anybody else who says something that's in this book doesn't belong here. Listen, you can find people who will tell you that it doesn't belong and you'll find other people who tell you that it does belong. You know what we do? We stick with the book. Stick with the book. It doesn't need to be revised, as they said. It needs to be reread. They say it doesn't belong in there because the oldest and best Greek manuscripts, what are they talking about? They're talking about the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus manuscripts, which they say are the oldest and the best. They don't tell you that these are some of the most corrupt manuscripts that we have of the Bible in our whole collection. Those are corrupted, terribly corrupted manuscripts but because they say they're the oldest they're the closest to the originals it must be right but this is coming from somebody who thinks completely different than you they do not believe that we have the completed new testament they believe we have something close to it but they believe that there are errors in here and you and i don't and if you start from uh, unbelief you end up at conclusions like this verse doesn't belong there and it has corrupted america Ever since the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, American scholarship, biblical scholarship, that they call critical, I don't care if it's higher or lower criticism, it's corrupted preachers, and they take away the authority. Imagine being a young man in seminary, and they say, verse 37 doesn't belong there. And you're thinking, I have never thought like that about the Bible in my life. And that man just said that. I've never heard a preacher say anything like that. 
and that, and that student just say, well, if that's not supposed to be in there, what else is not supposed to be in there? How do we know what God said for sure? And they do that, and they ruin the faith of preachers. What they won't tell you is that those oldest and best, so-called, are neither oldest nor best. They won't tell you that this verse is quoted by the church fathers more than a hundred years before those two manuscripts were even written. Those two manuscripts are actually the fifth column of Origins Hexapola. You don't know what that is, and it doesn't matter. That's on the recording for anybody that's listening to this on Sermon Audio. That's actually the fifth column of his five-column uh, uh, translation of the Scriptures. And uh, we have evidence of the King James reading of verse 37 in A.D. 255 from Cyprian, one of the church fathers. The church fathers would quote scripture and put it into their writings. They quoted scripture all the time. Their writings are just filled with quotes. You could practically put together a whole Bible from the quotes of the church fathers. A.D. 90, Irenaeus quotes it. A.D. 70, Passion. Tertullian, Ambrose, Augustine, they all knew about it somehow. I wonder how they knew about this. That's because it's a part of the New Testament, and it belongs there. But they won't tell you that. They won't tell you that. So stick with the old book if you believe with all your heart. John R. Rice actually said that doesn't even seem like the word of God. How deluded must he have been? That's why when in doubt, throw scholarship out. Somebody, when they, when they say these things, that the oldest and best, these young seminarians are just quoting their professors. Well, I'm going to quote my professor, my Bible teacher from the Bible Institute that I went to. He said, when in doubt, throw the scholarship out. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and he went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught him away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was found at this other city, Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Evidently, he stayed in Caesarea because we find him later on still in Caesarea. Still faithfully preaching the gospel. I'm not trying to look through my Bible with a magnifying glass trying to figure out what should be there and what shouldn't be there. You know what I want to do? I want to go out and put feet to my prayers and go tell somebody the gospel or see somebody hear the gospel here and get saved. Amen. I'd rather just stick with a simple faith and say, I don't know all that stuff about origin and the the hexapola and all that stuff. I don't know about that, but I know thus saith the Lord. I know Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible told me so. God's not looking for the biggest and brightest brains and intellects. He's just looking for a faithful servant who will just go when he tells him to go. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the Word of God tonight. Lord, um, I pray that we would not be moved away from the foundation of the Word of God. I pray that this church would continue to be pillar, a pillar and ground of the truth here in Meigs County. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>